and welcome to the I'm With Her podcast, a safe space to chat all things female. You're joined today by your host, Izzy, that's me, and my co-host, Kelly. That's me. Today on the show, we'll be discussing a new study into mental health and miscarriage, our top most talked about stories in the I'm With Her Facebook group. Plus, we'll both be dropping our confessions for the week right here. And I'm already a little rosy-cheeked thinking about it. Thanks for joining us. Buckle up. It's going to be wild. Right, so Izzy, how was your week? What have you been up to? <laughs> this week's been really intense. It's been very me-focused. Um, I've been in a constant state of, of being out of my comfort zone, which has been both parts exhilarating and fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um, so uh, I like managed to fit about six... I don't know if anyone else does this, probably my toxic trait, but basically just said yes to everything all in one, one very excited productive day and then found all these huge things that I had to do all within the space of a few days (laughs) so I spent the whole time just trying to calm my nerves um but it's been it's been really good um I have loved it and we're here and we're recording our first ever podcast which is like a dream for me because I have been thinking about this for six months and so it's great to finally be here with you across the world across the world and I'm doing it from my work office but I actually brought uh my comfies in with me including a comfy a pair of knickers that I didn't oh, yes. deem good enough for work <laughs> knickers but I am now wearing them as podcast knickers so that's going to be a thing now I'm going to have podcast knickers I'm going to get me some podcast knickers I'm wearing yoga pants having never done yoga and a workout top having no intention of going out for a workout after this so don't worry I'll feel you you would fit into Melbourne really well because that that that's a huge thing here um people just wear activewear all the time it's actually fucking great it is great. Anything stretchy, I'm I'm happy. But mind you, Corona, I, I've just been in stretchy clothes the entire time. I know. I'm never, ever wearing, like, tight bras or anything like that ever again. Just drawing a line under that part of my life. See you later. Get in the bin. <laughs> yes, the underwires have gone. We're freed from the shackles, ladies. Exactly. How about you? How has your week been? Well, I've got to say, it sounds a bit less intense than yours. Um, I've done a couple of things. I I took a bit of a risk this week and I applied for a a writing competition. Never done that before. So I'm quite excited to see how that's going to pan out. Um, I've been listening to an amazing podcast uh, called Billy Was a Black Woman, which is just incredible. It's all about the life and times of Billy Holiday. But it also is about kind of being a black woman, being a black woman in America and how people viewed black women in those times and still today. Um, it's been very eye-opening for me, uh, you know, really inspirational. So I highly recommend it. Uh, obviously, listen to this one first, guys, then then listen to that one. Um, and I had a mild case of food poisoning after getting a bit overexcited with the taco truck. I know, and I've got no regrets because the taco was delicious, but I suffered the next day. <laughs> oh, no. Sad times, but I'm okay. I've recovered. <laughs> uh, the big question, would you go back? Yes, I would, because it's the only place <laughs> the only place that does peach salsa, and I'm crazy for peach salsa, so I'm willing to sacrifice my uh, my stomach health. I didn't even know peach salsa was a thing. That sounds so good oh it was so good so it was like a spicy cola pork with a peach salsa and crispy leeks so yeah I'm willing food poisoning any time for that it was a dream in my mouth yeah I'd take it too I'm actually going to set myself an intention for this week that I need to try peach salsa within the next week 
I will send you a recipe. <laughs> um, and this uh, this writing competition, what's that about? That sounds really cool. Yeah, so it's quite exciting. It's a sort of arts council funded initiative. It's for writers based in Sussex, which is where I live in the UK. Um, and basically what they're doing is a 24 hour writer novel. So every writer that's selected gets to write one chapter of this book and then it's made into a, an entire book. So obviously it's about kind of celebrating diverse writers and diverse voices, but we all get kind of the same storyline to go from. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. I hope I hope I get through. What a great idea. I love, I love it. Let us know what happens. Each week, we're going to bring you the top most talked about issues and stories in our Facebook group, brought to us via our lovely members. Hey friends, just jumping in here to let you know that there is a trigger warning with this first story. We talk about miscarriage and loss. If this is a trigger for you, just jump ahead to about the 10 minute and 20 second mark and join back in the conversation there. So Izzy, the first one that I read this week uh, in the news that, that has really, really shocked me. Um, I shared it on the Facebook page and it's created a lot of discussion, uh, a lot of outpouring of feelings, was around um, a new study that's come out from the National Centre for Miscarriage Research and the University of Birmingham in the UK. Basically, what they've done is they've looked into the devastating impact of miscarriage and also set out a load of recommendations to try and improve the treatment and care for people who are suffering from baby loss. Some of the sort of top stats that really shocked me was that Black women are at a 40% increased risk of miscarriage compared to white women. Miscarriage has seen double the risk of depression, um, even more shockingly, quadruple the risk of suicide. And after three miscarriages, women are 6.1 times more likely to suffer from blood clots. So I think what this study does more than anything is I think it, for a start, completely debunks this long-held myth that miscarriage is just one of those things, uh, and an unavoidable part of the pregnancy journey. For me, in the UK, I think it also poses a very serious challenge to the current UK policy, which is where when a woman suffered a miscarriage, you have to have had three concurrent miscarriages before you qualify for any help, either medical or mental health help. Um, from my point of view, I had two miscarriages, then a live birth, and then a series of miscarriages before another live birth. So every time I fell off that waiting list because I'd already had a child um, and it resets to zero, which obviously is crazy because one miscarriage is as devastating as seven miscarriages. Every single one of those is a loss, um, you know, and, and what's clear from these stats is that it has a massive impact on women's mental health. And I would say their partners as well. Um, you know, I mean, what, what did you think when you read that? Yeah. It really, really shocked me, and I'm I'm really sorry to hear about your experience as well. I mean, I actually found it really harrowing. I kind of didn't know what to do with that information first, um, and I remembered, uh, yeah, I remember listening to Catherine Ryan and her podcast called "Telling Everybody Everything," and her first, I think it was her first episode. She actually talks about the fact that she had a miscarriage, and she talks about how we've always been told um, not to tell anybody that you're pregnant until you've reached 12 weeks and the idea is that you know before the 12 week mark you're uh, at, a, at higher risk of losing it during that period of time uh, but what that meant is that people were sort of losing their babies and they were having no one to turn to because they weren't telling anybody um, what was happening so they were feeling really really alone in their experience of trauma to make other people feel comfortable because I think people just didn't know how to respond to people dealing with a loss. And I just feel so frustrated by how that's wired. Why do we live in a society? Why have we not taught ourselves to be better at offering the right support to people 
in a moment of loss rather than just pretending it never happened and to just not talk about it. And I mean, I'm not saying that talking about it is always the solution and is going to change those statistics um, significantly enough. Um, but just kind of coming from a perspective of just looking for support and needing support, um, it just seems like a really, really simple thing that we could all be doing a lot better. I completely agree. And actually what I've noticed over the last few years, um, so my first miscarriage was in around about 2005. Um, I was very young. <laughs> and, you know, the way that things have changed, certainly over the last sort of 15 years or so, um, is incredible. And I think a lot of that has been really led by charitable organisations like Tommy's in the UK, uh, studies like this that really helps bring this stuff to the forefront. But actually, predominantly by people who suffered baby loss, speaking out and not feeling ashamed anymore and not feeling like that's something that they have to hide or make palatable for people. Um, there's an incredible initiative here in the UK, and I, I don't know whether it is worldwide as well, um, called the Wave of Light, which on National Baby Loss Awareness Day, you light candles for your children and you put them in the, your lost children and you put them in the window. Um, I started doing that a few years ago and would, without really any kind of post with it, but I post a, a photograph of the candles in the window. And what I've noticed over the years is that more and more people on my feed, more and more friends and acquaintances and colleagues have started to post those up as well. And it almost is like a you know, a lightning rod to other women to go, I understand, you know, this is something I want to talk about too. And actually, it's been really lovely over the last few years. I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and I've reached out to a lot of other people about it. People do want to talk about this. They just don't know how. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there in regards to sort of that sh the shame that you carry around with you because we've been taught that it's something to be shameful about and not being fertile and not being able to produce a child means as a woman you're not fulfilling your duty on this earth, which obviously is just bullshit and it's really archaic. And, um, well, obviously people were dying because of this inability to have open conversations about something that's really serious and affects, obviously, a lot of people. Um so I think we should encourage people to come into group and just have a chat and let us know um, what you think about the situation. And we'll also put a few um, links to some support if you've experienced a miscarriage or loss and you're looking for some support, um, just some places that you can go. So what's next on the news, Izzy? Anything more cheerful? Okay, this is not a most highbrow story, but I... <laughs> Like, we will go high and low. We can do all of the things in this podcast. I realized that all of the swear words that I use are really offensive um, and not in a good way. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that the point of swear words? They're supposed to be offensive. I realized how ironic that is. But they're all offensive to me as a woman or some of our other more marginalized friends. And uh, I want to kind of flip that language and stop uh keep pushing these narratives so for example when you call somebody a bitch it's comparing a woman to a dog uh and using bastard is shaming a woman for having a child out of wedlock um and i probably don't need to go into any of the sort of darker ones but like this idea that uh these swear words have come from they're sort of rooted in misogyny they're sexist and derogatory to women and removing this gendered profanity um, from discourse is actually going to be my new thing. So I like swearing, as you can tell. I've already swear <laughs> sweared a few times. And we should be able to vet our frustration, but I think it can be done without disrespecting women and other groups. And so I'm no longer saying grosser balls. That's just pushing the idea that men sit higher in society than the rest of us. 
I think. Yeah, and that courage is inherently a, in, inherently a male thing, and it's absolutely not. Most of the strongest, bravest people I know are women, to be and, honest. Exactly. And also, I discovered recently that balls have evolved to actually feel pain, even if it's just a suggestion of being close and not actually experiencing pain. That's how they've evolved, to ensure that they survive. <laughs> Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, but I also don't want to swap it with vulva or vagina either, because it's just like you wouldn't point at someone in the group and refer to them as an elbow or a toe, as some as someone in our group point so kindly pointed out. So I'm going to remove all of the body things that sort of sit shrouded in shame. Um, and uh, I thought I'd pull out some of my my favorite. <laughs> yes, it's, everybody did chip in, didn't they? It was very helpful. There's been some really great, great suggestions. I, I wasn't sure if this is going to be good content for the group, but the people, the people loved it. And <laughs> just give the people what they want. We just give the people. They want what motherfucking they want. swearing. <laughs> so th- we went old school with quite a few of these. Ignoramus was a good one. Basic. You just not want to follow up with basic bitch, obviously. Codswallop. I love that. And then actually one that I think is so good, descriptive language, is slime ball. Slime ball. Yeah, it feels good in the mouth. Yeah, it feels good in the mouth. And then finally rat bag. And apologise to any of the rats community if they find that offensive. But actually, in all seriousness, someone actually did come to the group and pointed out that perhaps we actually need to be a little bit more honest with our language. She said... Maybe just say what you mean. So if someone is rude, tell them that they are rude. If they're mean, say that they're mean. And if they're threatening, say that you feel threatened or scared. Um, and suggested that maybe we should just all practice a bit more honesty when speaking. And I, I absolutely love that. I just thought that's really kind of what we want to aim for. Even if I do want to throw in the odd fuck every now and again. <laughs> yeah, there's room for both. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the other things that um, I saw on the group this week, uh, which was it you who posted it up, is he? Or one of the one of the group, the new Dove advert. Reverse the selfie. We're going to do what you're not supposed to do on a podcast and talk about a video. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's great. Um, it's, is, it's called Reverse the Selfie. It's a video that almost sort of is laid out as if it's a reversed scene of a girl who's just posted a very um, edited image of herself on Instagram and she's getting lots of likes and then it goes back through the whole... Quite a, quite a sexualised image, isn't it? Quite heavy makeup and all that sort of thing. It is very sexualised. Yes, exactly right. And um, all sorts of actual face modifications, thinning the face, uh, changing the nose shape completely. I mean, it, it looked like a different person. Um, and it went backwards and then just sort of finished on this shot of this girl. And it was shocking how young she looks. And I just couldn't, I still can't get that image of her out of my face. She looks almost broken and she just looks so uh, unfulfilled and sad and very isolated and lonely. And and that was the point of it. There was some, some nice um, frames at the end just saying how social media is really affecting our teenage girl's self-esteem. And it just really sparked a conversation on the group. I just think people found it really um, hard hitting. And uh, it makes me so sad because I just wish I could tell every teenage girl, you know, that they're enough the, the way that we are. And even I suffer from all of these difficult, so many of us do suffer from all these body image issues. Um, and we didn't even have social media when I was a teenager. So I just can't believe what they're going through. The social dilemma hit the hit, uh, screens January 2020. 
Uh, did you see it? Did you see Social Dilemma? No, I haven't actually seen it. Oh, you should, although it will terrify you because you've got kids. So. Yes, uh, yeah. This is it. I can't watch anything anymore. It's just Disney films. No, just Disney. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. And this this really horrible, I'll throw some statistics at you that, they, that came from this. And it said that teenage girls admitted to hospital for self-harm were stable around 2011 to 2013. But in the US, these have risen 62%. For 15 to 19 year old girls and 189% for preteen girls. And in older girls, it's up to 70% compared with the first decade of this century. And in preteen girls who have very, very low, low rates previously, it's up 151%. And that pattern really points to social media. The timelines just add up. Yeah, I mean, it really does. Uh, you know, I mean, I've got, um, I've got boys rather than girls. Um, and I have to say, there is part of me that. You know, I, I have less experience of what it's like to grow up as a boy, obviously. So there's, you know, certain parts where I project my own experiences of being female onto them. And I worry so much about that, you know, and I know my my oldest, who's, who's a preteen, he's teetering on the edge of teenage years now. He is so concerned about how he looks, so concerned about, you know, the photographs that he's taking, the things that are shared on his Snapchat groups with his friends and, and all of that kind of thing. And, and, and I... I may be wrong and I may be viewing it through rose-tinted nostalgia, but, I, you know, at 10, 11, I was in a pair of dungarees smashing around in the garden. Like, oh. I, I can't think that I was that concerned about the way that I looked, but because I didn't have an outlet for it, I was. it was just my face. If you took a photograph, it, you sent it off somewhere. It took six days to be developed. By the time you realised it was terrible, <laughs> it made no difference. Um, whereas these days, everything is so immediate and so public. Um that, you know, I think I think that is a real a real step change for kids, and I can't imagine what it must be like to grow up like this under such a spotlight. Absolutely, and as you just put it, you know, it's um, boys aren't immune to this either. You know, the statistics focus on girls there, but it's young people are being really affected by having co- their faces constantly framed back at mirrored back at them. But then this added ability that. It, you know, Instagram and TikTok are, are constantly telling you that your natural state is not good enough through filters and abilities to edit yourself. And um, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I, the 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 Dove ad has done a great job with this, you know, bringing these issues to light in, in such a hard hitting way. It's obviously worth mentioning that they are a brand and they are a business and their goal is to sell more products. Um, so they do have, you know, another motive other than improving the self-esteem of teenage girls. But it's just, um, you know, they've they've always sort of put out socially aware work. Um, so it's good. And I think it's important. And, you know, attached to a brand or not, I would love to see more of this in the advertising world. Yeah, that sort of social consciousness stuff. And I think Dove as a company really started this in about 2014 and you know they've really pushed the envelope I think on melding social consciousness with advertising they've made a couple of missteps and it would be unfair not to recognize the fact that they had a a bit of a to-do a couple of years ago in regards to um, one around kind of skin color um, and Dove did not deal with that particularly well I think since then they've quite clearly regrouped and come back with something that feels much more authentic and thought out, um, you know, and, and certainly for me, this has been quite a quite an opportunity to think about how I need to sit down and have this discussion with my kids, really. Mm, absolutely. 
Introducing Confess Thursday. That's why each week Cal and I are going to bare our souls and confess to the world our deepest and darkest secrets. <laughs> For those of you who are new to Confess Thursdays, here's a little refresher. It's ironically named to highlight moments in your life in which you failed to present yourself to the world in the ideal fashion which you've been striving for. Basically, it's an uncomfortable truth, if you like. Maybe you are petty, maybe your inner misogynist read its ugly head, or maybe you're just too damn tired to give a shit. So we tell the world what happened, and it's received with acceptance, no judgment, empathy, and kindness. We talk it out, and then let it go, and move the fuck on. So Izzy, what's your confession? Okay, I actually feel a bit hot and sweaty. <laughs> yeah, she's actually covering her face. She's covering her face for shame. <laughs> you feel so embarrassed this is something that sits with me and it like it rears its head when I'm in the shower or something like that and I just think oh yeah uh, yeah I have P- I have PTSD from this really embarrassing moment it's like a flashback and I just think oh yeah <laughs> so we're out with friends on a night out and the conversation around being circumcised comes up and my boyfriend says yeah I've been circumcised and I was like this is We've been together for three years. I'd been with my boyfriend for three years before I realised he'd been circumcised. And then I added to it, like, it kind of sank in and I started to get really hot and panicky. And for some reason, I started worrying that everyone's going to think I was frigid and that I hadn't slept with it, with many guys. So I just started talking about how many guys I'd slept with, which obviously oh God. didn't go down. To prove that you've seen all sorts like, of penises. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not my fault. It's just like... A smorgasbord like, of penises. <laughs> God, it makes me cringe so much. I don't think we really heard from that group of people again. But I genuinely thought that only Jewish people got circumcised. I thought it was a Jewish thing. So just to be clear, you were with this guy for three years and presumably had had seen each other naked at many occasions. And only after these three years, when you heard him actually say that he was circumcised. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just want to make sure that we're clarifying this. Only after that time, when you heard him confirm that he was in fact circumcised, did you realise that he was in fact circumcised? Is that is that correct? Just to check. <laughs> yes, I would... I will confirm that you're... Yes, that is correct. That's correct. By the way, I used to be a a journalist, so she's going to get a grilling on this one. (laughs) Okay. Right. Well, I think actually one of those things that you need to kind of... You need to forgive yourself for is that actually we don't get taught any of this stuff in schools. I, you know, I've certainly never been shown a a comparative picture of a circumcised and uncircumcised penis. Um, You know, actually for many people, particularly in countries where that isn't so common in the UK, and I know Izzy grew up in the UK, it's actually quite unusual for people to be circumcised here. So, you know, in a way, I think it's time to forgive yourself, um, apart from the bit where you then kind of slut-shamed yourself. I slut-shamed myself. I surely did. (laughs) I surely did. And I was great. And you know when you start repeating stuff when you're drunk, so even though people have already got it once, you just keep drilling that home, drilling it home. Really important that they know that you have slept with a lot of men with a lot of different (laughs) shaped penises. Yeah, and I think that's it. Like, penises have all been different. Like, surprisingly quite different. Um, and so for this one, I just, I actually just thought the way it's, I just thought it was just always really clean. Like he'd, it was just really tidy, maybe. I don't know. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it's because I've only ever seen it hard. And therefore maybe it's like more difficult to detect. But now I'm even questioning myself now. And I feel like I need to Google 
circumcised penis, but I also know from previous <laughs> screw-ups that that's a very bad idea. Okay, just to be clear, you're recording this in your workplace, so promise me that you will hold <laughs> off any Googling until you arrive home. <laughs> Incognito mode. Oh, anyway, yeah, I'm glad I've got that off my chest, actually. Yeah, do you feel better? I do, and it actually is just really funny. All right, it's your turn. What are you confessing this week? Okay, so my I have to say my Confess Thursday is probably a little bit less uh, exciting um, than Izzy's. So, and this is the first time that I've ever said this out loud. I'm going to 100% admit it because I think we need to talk about this more. I have used a tampon once in my entire life and it was because I had a spa day on a period day. So I had no choice because I really wanted the spa. Um, I am genuinely terrified of tampons. I'm terrified of them and because of the nature of them nobody really sits down with you as a kid and it's like right this is how you do it so I kind of missed the formative bit where I learned how to use those and then it was almost too embarrassing to tell people that I didn't know how to use a tampon so consequently very often people go have you got a tampon and I'd be like oh no I'm out Ooh, um rather than go no I don't use them because I'm terrified of them um so yeah so I have to say not just as a confession I need to get it off my chest I'm sure there's other people in the world that are also terrified of these things um but I am going to as a nearly 40 year old woman I am going to learn how to use a tampon (laughs) I don't think you should I hate tampons I hate them I have put one in wrong before and and it's sort of just like pressed against the lining and it's just uncomfortable. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh sorry. God, this is not helping, is it? <laughs> but they're bad for the environment. So we're, we're like, let's move on from tampons. We've, there's other stuff we can use, but it's still, we still have to shove it. My gripe with it is that when you are on your period and you ha- you feel bloated and stuffed and like everything anyway, the last thing I want to do is shove, this, is shove something else in there. Yeah, like a dry wad of cotton. I, I yeah. just, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. And if you are light on your period and you're not like moist enough, <laughs> you've not got enough like natural juices, whatever it is, other whether that's oh my God. blood or discharge or whatever. This is real talk, ladies. It, real talk. It doesn't get in there properly. And like, I have actually walked around and had one like poking out before, yeah, and just been like, this is. This doesn't feel right. Because you don't, like you say, you don't go to class one day in sex ed and they're like, and this is how, all right, everybody, everybody on three, one, two, three. (laughs) Take your mirror. (laughs) Yeah, they just don't do that. So I'm going to go, I've seen, there's quite a lot of adverts at the moment. I'm going to give a go to these kind of period pants um, that seem to be on the market now. They're all kind of very much better for the environment. Lots of them are made with bamboo all sorts of things. So I'm going to look into what's the most environmentally conscious version of that and I'm going to give that a go. And I I think after, particularly after your encouragement there, I'm definitely never going to go anywhere near a tampon ever again. No, don't, I don't mean to add to your, to your scaredness of them. (laughs) Yes, thank you. My phobia is now much worse. (laughs) Sorry. No, I just, I think as a society, let's all move on from the tampon. Period pants are the best thing I ever did. Oh, excellent. Okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'll ask you afterwards for some recommendations. Yes, I do. Maybe we'll post it to the group. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> Those were good confessions. Well, that's all for today. And thank you so much for listening. Yes, come and join the discussion in our Facebook group. You can find it by searching for I'm With Her or follow us on Instagram at I'm.WithHer. Come join the conversation and we'll see you next time. Bye. 
This podcast has been recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We take inspiration from the rich history of storytelling within the cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and respect their endless resilience and strength.